You know, if, um, if I came to you this morning when you came to church, and I greeted you, and I said to you, did you dress yourself today? You probably would first look at yourself, and you'd think, um, why is he asking that question? Or maybe you may feel offended that I ask a question, did you dress yourself today? Because, you know, I'm so fashion-deprived myself. How could I ask that question of anybody? Your first reaction probably would not be, yep, I dressed myself today. Unless, of course, you were perhaps two years old. If you're just starting out learning how to dress yourself, it's a very big accomplishment. If you're a parent of youngsters, how much time in the morning do you save when your children can dress themselves? If your child uh, emerges from the room wearing uh, mismatched socks, uh, a stained orange shirt and blue trousers, that's okay if it's a play day. But if you're heading out to a restaurant for dinner or to church, you probably would pause and help to revise their fashion choices. Knowing how to dress ourselves is a first step as we grow up in life. Choosing what to wear requires experience and guidance. How much time did you spend getting ready this morning? getting dressed? Did you carefully choose your clothes and make sure everything was looking good as you glanced in the mirror on the way out? We all know what happens when we dress in the dark or when we dress in a hurry. Shirts that don't match, dresses that we thought were black but is blue. But I can see that uh, everybody this morning is well turned out. Your, Your smiles match your clothes. I can see that from here. It's really nice. But as you were getting ready this morning, did you also happen to uh, look in your spiritual closet? Perhaps you did not even know you had a spiritual closet, but you do. It is full of spectacular and wonderful items, all neatly arranged and gifted to you by God. If you think that the clothes make the man or the woman, then our spiritual clothes shout to the world who we are and to whom we belong. Because not just anyone can wear what God provides. In our passage today, Paul explains to us what to put on, what to clothe ourselves with. And he lists specific virtues and character qualities which together result in the practice of unity. Walking together as a unified group of very different people is one of the most startling aspects of being a church. It is a testimony to the presence and power of God that he can take people who are so different and bind us together as one. In our series on the church, this is our church, we've discovered that church is God's idea. It's his plan. It's his purpose. It's not our idea. We're gathering here to worship him because he's called us to be here. We learn that uh, he has chosen us to be his people, that he's filled us with his spirit, and he fits us together into his body, just like this picture shows. Each piece fits together, and God has chosen us to be part of that. In the last two messages, we also learn that uh, God calls us to worship him in prayer and in service. And today we're going to begin to figure out how to put on certain qualities that God desires of us. 
You know, there was great joy for those who were able to minister a week ago at the Harvest Party. People kept t- saying to me, it was, it was really amazing to be together, each person doing his own thing, but all fitting together to serve God. That's what unity is. So, this morning, I want us to uh, just slide open this door to the spiritual closet. And I want us to see what God has provided for us to live united as one people before him. In our passage today, Paul lays out a number of details in regard to how we're to live. And this is kind of a background, what we're looking at. He talks about, in Colossians 3, what we should not wear, what you never put on, what you absolutely cannot put on, such as uh, anger or lying, abusive language, immorality. It's the negative aspect of what is we see every day in our life and our world. He also talks about what we need to put on, and that's going to be where we're going to rest in looking at this message this morning. He also, in this chapter, talks about how to live as a Christian family and how to live in relation to the world, which will be left to a different future time to discuss. But today we're looking at Colossians three twelve to 17. As you read these verses, I want you to think about this as items in your spiritual closet that are hanging there that God has given to us. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with a thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In this passage, if you have your Bibles, it's good to actually turn there. In this passage, in the very first verse we look at in verse 12, what do you notice? Paul's talking to a certain audience. In the first part of verse 12, he says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's who owns the closet of spiritual qualities. That's who that closet has been given to. We're described as holy and beloved. This echoes back to a message that was preached a few weeks ago in the book of Ephesians, that we are chosen to belong to him, to be filled with his spirit, and to be part of his body. And Paul repeats this in the first four verses of Colossians. If you then have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Because you are following Jesus, Paul says we're supposed to be seeking the things above, not the things here. Our objective is not to be 
a good person here, but because we belong with him. That's the reason, that is the foundation from which we are supposed to open this closet and take what God has given. So because we are chosen, we are expected to live lives that reflect who we are in Christ, as seated with him in the heavenlies. We are to live in a manner that God desires for us, which is to be for his glory and for his purpose. And so Paul lists for us five Christ-like qualities in this spiritual closet of ours, which in some way that we're going to try and figure out, and some way we're supposed to put on, we're supposed to wear. And so what are we supposed to wear? Well, Paul says a heart of compassion, kindness and humility. You know, compassion is the response to the suffering of others that motivates us to desire to help. You know, when you saw the video this morning on the persecuted church, how did you feel? You want to help? That's compassion. Compassion motivates us to go out of the way to help people who are suffering physically, emotionally, or spiritually just because the emotion is stirred up within us. Kindness is a gracious sensitivity shown toward others that is a result of genuine care. In fact, in Romans 2.4, it says that because of God's kindness to us, he leads and draws us to repentance. It's his kindness, not his wrath, not his anger, but his kindness, his compassion for us. Humility is a quality by which a person knowing himself as he truly is, yet maintains a humble opinion of himself and willingly submits to God and to others for Christ's sake. Gentleness, patience, are the other two qualities. Gentleness is understood to be that of kindness, tenderness, being considerate of others and not demanding our own way. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not very gentle because I demand my own way. Patience, in verse 12, patience is the ability not to become frustrated and enraged with trouble and suffering, but to make allowances for the shortcomings of others and to tolerate their exasperating behavior. Let's face it, it's tough to be patient, even with ourselves. So much so that Paul further explains this in verse 13. He describes patience as the, the ability, the task of bearing with one another, which literally means enduring or putting up with circumstances and difficult relationships. And forgiving each other is also included. The ability to, and termination to pardon an offense or an offender to cease feeling resentment against another's offense. In this case, Paul gives the example of complaints, forgiving complaints. And a complaint is just an expression of discontent or anger, or resentment. Now, I don't know about you, when I, when I read this list, I say, ah, wow, this is some list. If this is all Paul wrote, if Paul stopped right here, I really don't know, honestly, how much knowing I should do this is going to help me. It's like looking in your closet and saying, you know, they're wonderful clothes, but they're too expensive, I can't wear them. I can't put these on. How could I possibly be patient or kind or gentle or humble or, or any of these qualities? They appear as unattainable ideals. How can, how can God ask us to do this? He knows us as we are. 
And yet, this is what God requires of us. And so Paul, I think, anticipates this, and he gives us verse 14. He says, beyond all these things, beyond all these qualities, these five qualities, there's something even more important, and that is love. Love is the perfect bond of unity. And so he tells us to put on love. You know, if you put on love, then you're probably going to have patience. You're probably going to have humility and kindness and gentleness and compassion. Because love is the heart of what God commands from us. It is his love for us that has brought us here before him, redeemed by our loving Savior, empowered by his gracious spirit, to live lives that reflect his pleasure. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what exactly is unity? What does it mean here? You know, we often think of unity in, in, a, in a sports set situation. Uh, for years, I played lacrosse. I don't know if you've ever seen lacrosse being played. It has a funny net at the end of a stick, and you have a ball, and you throw it, and you run, you have a goal, and so on. We played it in British Columbia. We played, played in, a, in an arena that has no ice, concrete floor. You have two nets. And I played it for years as I was growing up. And we had a good team. We won a lot of games. And on one occasion, we were playing a team that we were beating pretty easily. And we'd scored a goal, and it was a new face-off. And in the face-off, you got to put your stick on the floor. And the two sticks are side by side to each other when the ball's in the center. Whistle goes to try and get the ball. My counterpart opposite to me on the other team said, let me have the ball. I want to score a goal on my own team. So I said, okay, sure, go ahead. He took the ball, ran down, and threw it at his own goalie and scored a goal. That's not unity. That, that is not playing for your team. We have to learn how to do that. When I first started playing lacrosse, I didn't realize that we had three periods and you changed ends. So I had a breakaway in the second period. Everybody's yelling at me, you're going the wrong way. I was coming out of my own goalie to try and shoot and realize, wait a minute, we've changed ends. Unity is about working towards the same end, towards the same goal. And when you don't, your team can let you know pretty quickly. But living in, in unity requires all these virtues that we've talked about. It requires compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience because this kind of unity is not a physical unity. It's a spiritual unity. It doesn't mean that there aren't any differences. It's how we handle those differences because as a group of people, there's always going to be differences. It's just who we are. Disagreements, offenses, things said, things done. That's just part of life. But it's how we handle those things that's most important. I like Todd Still's comment in his commentary on this passage. He says, We belong to a new people in which differences do not ultimately define us and cannot be allowed to divide us. It is about a decision we make to be one. Paul also talks about the idea of a bond, the bond of unity. You know, love binds together all these things. You know, I found this picture of, uh, close as I could find to it. Love is the elastic band 
wraps around all these qualities that binds it together. It's as if, you know, you go to your spiritual closet, you open it up, and you look at it and you say, today I'm going to wear some patience or some compassion. But it doesn't work like that. It's a complete outfit that you have to put on. And around that goes the belt of love that holds these things together. That's what produces unity in our midst, is God's love in us. Now, let's face it, I'm not saying anything new you haven't already heard. Most of you have already heard this. If you're thinking, okay, another message on uh, what I'm supposed to be like, what I'm supposed to do, and I know I can't do that. I've tried. You know, probably like me, you've, you've been left frustrated if you've tried to be more patient, to be more humble, to be more forgiving, because it's not easy. And we can wonder, why would God ask us to do these things if we're so clearly unable to? Is it just uh, an idea we're supposed to just reach for and never quite get? See, the real challenge is not that we see or know what we're supposed to wear, but the challenge is how we're supposed to do it, how we put on compassion, how we wear love. What does it mean to put on these virtues, as Paul says? Put on, he says, clothe yourself. Is it like putting on a shirt or putting on a pair of socks? Is that how we wear these, these qualities? Well, this is something I learned a long time ago from other believers. And uh, I want to share it with you that I found it, has tra- it transformed my life in terms of, of walking with the Lord. It turned me away from trying and struggling and failing to live up to God's standard. It's learning how to let God fill you with his virtues. Now, I'm still in process. I'm still learning this. But I, I want to share with this because this is Paul's, actually his second point. It fits with this. See, God does not just tell us, I want you to do this. He also shows us how we're supposed to do that. And so he shows us this in verses 15 and 16. Because Paul moves from the word put on to let. It's a very important word. That's one of the key words in this message is let. Small little word. But he mentions it twice. He says, let Christ fill you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The idea of rule here is to be an umpire, an arbitrator. That when we're in that situation where we're going to go one direction or the other, going to get angry or not, we let God's peace arbitrate in us. But I still haven't told you how, how to do it yet, though. We see that his peace is supposed to rule in our hearts. Paul also tells us in Romans but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Well, how do you put on Jesus? What does it mean? Further, we know that Paul tells us that we're not supposed to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Doesn't this sound familiar to Ephesians? That we're supposed to be in the passage we read? We're supposed to be uh, speaking to each other in hymns and songs. In some way, we're to let God's peace grow in our hearts, which we cannot do by our own effort. Putting on Jesus means actively surrendering to Jesus to allow him to transform you through the filling of his presence of the Spirit. It's an intention of the will. It involves asking him to fill you with the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. 
I'm not talking about that first time you've gave, given your life to Jesus. And he comes and you're transformed and made a new creation in him. What I'm talking about is the next step. I'm talking about how we're supposed to live as Christians. Okay, Lord, I've settled it with you now. I'm forgiven. Praise you. Thank you. But how do I work with people at work I don't like? How do I uh, be patient with my spouse? How, how, how do I think correctly of myself and not have full of pride? How do I live out these qualities, Lord? How do I live like you? And that's the step we're in as most believers. And it means walking with Jesus by turning away from anything that displeases him. Whatever he points out to us, we turn away. Let me give you an example, because it's a practice. Most of you know I I commute by bike every morning to go to work. And uh, it's always a challenge, because some drivers are, are very nice, some drivers are not so nice. So I leave the house and I say, Lord, I need your spirit in me, I want your spirit in me to guide me on my journey today that I wouldn't yell and have bike rage. (laughs) So I head out. Within a block, I'm saying again, Lord, um, I need your help again. And that's what it is. It's a continual process. I'm not praying for salvation. What I'm praying for is that God's spirit would come inside, that I would surrender to him, that he would form inside of me these kinds of qualities. That's how you put them on. You put on Jesus. That's what you do. You let the peace of Christ, this idea of let, surrender, allow him, permit him. I could easily say, yes, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm okay with you, but don't tell me what to do anymore. This is good enough. And I'm going to fight him on that. And it leads to what? Frustration. It leads to all the things that I shouldn't have, like anger or wrath. The things I'm supposed to put away in verses 5 to 9. Not the things I'm supposed to put on. Another way of saying this is in verse 16, where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, dwell in you richly, abundantly, fully, completely. That's why the word is so important. As we read God's word, he is forming his own thoughts in our own hearts and shaping and transforming us. He says, the word richly lives in us and it provides us wisdom and it transforms our heart. And we express this through teaching and admonishment, receiving and giving. See, if Christ is filling you and you're under his control, if you will, as he's shaping your life, then you're going to see things in other brothers and sisters' lives that you want to help them with. That can be admonishment sometime. I encourage you, I urge you to change this or to do this or to pray for me. Or you see things in my life that I need to change and then in the spirit you tell me. It's speaking the word to each other. It's not just, um, you know, coming up and I'm going to sing you a song, sing you a hymn or a spiritual song. But it's a melody in your heart that comes out in how you live your life. Now, I'd like us right now to uh, take a moment to make sure that... uh, you are actually submitting to the Lord, that you're going to invite his spirit into your heart. This is a choice that you make, to release yourself, to let him fill you 
Again, this is not a prayer for salvation. This is a prayer of submission for him to fill you. And what it involves is simply asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life right now that displeases you? I'm going to turn away from that. It may be hard to do that. I don't know how I'm going to turn away from that. It could be deep-seated resentment and anger. I don't know how to give that up. But that's not the concern right now. My concern is I want you to fill me. I want you to change me. Help me live as a believer. So it's recognizing what's displeasing God. Turning from that and then inviting God's spirit to fill. Doesn't mean you're going to speak in tongues. It's not where we're going for this. This means allowing the spirit of God who dwells in us now to fill you. So I want us to bow our heads and I want us to take a moment to ask the Lord, Lord, Father, is, is there anything in my life right now that's displeasing to you? If there's nothing, praise God. If there is, in your hearts, just say, Lord, you know, I agree with you, this is not right and I want it to change. And as you're doing that, Know that the Lord hears you. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what you're going to say because he loves you and he's God. He knows all things. And as you tell God this in your heart, turn to him now and say, you know, Jesus, I want your spirit to be fully in control of my heart. I want you to fill me with your spirit, to show me to put on and in me what you want, Lord, so I can live for you. Father, we come to you as your children, and we come to you because you've given us everything, and we need you completely. And Father, we want to live for your glory, and we thank you for the gift of salvation you've given us, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a way to live with you, and that is your very spirit. And we invite your spirit, Lord, to fill us. We submit ourselves before you, Lord. And if we slip out of that, Lord, remind us so that we can resubmit ourselves to you under your authority. Lord, thank you for filling us. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for putting on us these qualities. Amen. So when that happens, then you can go to the final part of this message. And that is to act through Christ. You know, I don't know, how many people here have clothes they only wear, only wear on Sundays? The traditional church clothes. It was a, a common occurrence. You had your bath Saturday night. In the morning, you laid out your, your church clothes. You didn't wear them on them during the week. This was a special clothing. Most of us don't have that. We have clothes we wear every day. Our spiritual closet is for every day. It's not just for Sunday mornings. It's for tomorrow tomorrow morning and the day after. And that means we have to let Christ dress us. Look, I'm actually behind here. That means letting Christ dress us. And so as he dresses us, we're able to act through him. It says in verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever you, you say, 
whatever you do, should reflect who is inside of you. So if you've surrendered yourself to the Lord's spirit to fill you, then out of his strength, out of his capacity, what he provides for us, he changes us so that we can act differently and we can speak differently. You hear plenty of testimonies of people who say, you know, when I came to the Lord, I did this and this, and now I don't. Why? Because God is transforming the person. And God is transforming not just you, but the church together as we are transformed together. Because it means doing everything in Jesus' name. Putting on Jesus. Being filled. Letting him work his way in us. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We don't think about eating and drinking as doing to the glory of God. But because Christ fills us, everything we do reflects who he is. And so living in unity can only be lived out as we are filled together as believers and grow together as a family. Living in unity is a spiritual outcome of putting on the virtues of Christ. It's by letting Christ rule in our hearts, stepping back and saying, Lord, I want what you want. Lord, give me the capacity and the desires that you want. And then act and live through Christ. Because unity is actually one of the attributes of God. God is unified. And when God fills us with his spirit, he brings unity within our own hearts and with others. All these virtues and character qualities that Paul writes about are really beyond us. Understand that. They're beyond us. We cannot grasp them. They're too far. They're too high. They're too great. It's only when Christ fills us that we can truly be patient or kind or compassionate. To live as God expects is impossible. No one can measure up to that. He provides the clothing and the closet to wear. He puts it on us. We have to allow him to do that. That's our responsibility, is coming to him and say, Lord, I need you to fill me. Now, our church will always need unity. It doesn't matter how big or small we become. There's always going to be obstacles and temptations to break our unity because we're fallen and broken people. For this reason, unity always begins first in you. Not in that person, you. Between you and God. That's the first place unity begins. Our lives find its deepest and most satisfying purpose when we are in harmony with God through Jesus. When you are reconciled to God in Christ, then there's no longer division between you and him. And we can now please him as he fills us. From the personal wholeness that we have and being whole in ourselves, then we can participate with each other and share wholeness together, which is unity. But it requires each of us to surrender to him and to submit to him continually in everything we do and think. Let me ask you this question this morning as we come to a conclusion. Is there harmony in you? Are you living in harmony with Jesus? It's a tough question. Am I living in harmony with Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? By admitting to God your brokenness and darkness inside of you. Are you tired of uh, the mess in your life and want to change? You can do this today. This is the first step of surrendering yourself to him. In your heart, ask him to forgive you and surrender your life to him.
This is the only way you can experience the peace of Christ. It's the only way you can experience peace inside and with others around you who follow Christ. Another question. Are you moment by moment letting Christ fill you with his spirit? Salvation is the beginning, as I said. Living with Christ involves continually seeking, letting, permitting him to fill us, to transform us. As we do this together, we become a unified body. That's what it means. Like the, uh, the fellow who scored in his own goal, he wasn't working for his team. He may have had a good time doing that. It was a fun thing to tell his friends. But in the end, it was not for his team. There was no unity there. It was for himself. So acting for our own interests can be fun for a while, but not necessarily bring the unity that God calls us to be. Putting on the clothes of our spiritual closet really means putting on Jesus and remaining filled with him always. Then we act in ways that build unity because it's Christ in us, Christ in you, who's the one who enables us to have a sense of oneness that goes beyond language and culture, preferences, differences. That's what binds us together, is Christ. He's the only one who can do it. It's all bound within him and his life. So, as we conclude this morning, I want you to remember that we're supposed to let Christ fill us. And then watch what he's going to do in our church. If you're actively, consciously, moment by moment, day by day, surrendering yourself to the Lord to fill you, watch what happens. You will change. People will notice it. You will have desires to follow him and serve him you never had before. You'll be excited by, by your walk with him because you're submitting yourself to him. And he's recreating in you, not recreating, he's putting in you his own virtues of patience, humility, kindness, gentleness, and patience. That is part of what our church, I hope and pray, looks like. We've discussed what a church is. We've discussed our worship and our service. And now we're discussing how to live together as one. And it must always be in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, on the night before you went to the cross, you prayed for your disciples. And you prayed before the Father that they would be one as you and the Father are one. And that by their love as disciples for you, the world would know that they belong to you. It would be a testimony to your gracious power and transforming abilities within your people. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for, for us as we sit and stand before you, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you'd fill us with the joy and the desires that you have for us, Lord, that we'd embrace and allow you to do whatever it is you want, Lord, in our lives, because it's all for your glory and for your honor, to whom we live. Amen.